Hello, welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon McGrother. And I'm McKelly Ray. We'll be your guides on a journey as we venture through, chapter by chapter, the books of The Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. I thought we could introduce each other first. Uh, I'm kind of springing this on McKelly, so I'll go first. All right. Um, uh, McKelly, uh, we've, we've been friends for 13, 14 years. McKelly's a very nice guy. He's, uh, he's taller than me. I don't like that. <laughs> he's a good basketball player. He's got a lovely family. And uh, he's, a, he's a good friend. And I think my wife has made this point to me before that uh-huh. I think he's a particularly good friend because he laughs at my jokes. <laughs> now, I have noticed that he laughs at everyone's jokes. So that does... But the hardest. I laughed harder at uh, your uh, yeah, Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I don't use my fake laugh <laughs> as much. So, yeah, that's that's McKelly. Okay, well, I was not... I don't have anything prepared, but... <laughs> I said I was springing it on you. you. You've said much about our friendship. It's been uh, since my son was in preschool, who's now in college, oh, and your son was in diapers, <laughs> yeah. I believe. Yeah. And, and he's, he's no in high school. <laughs> yes. He's no longer in diapers. Yeah. He is in high school. Yes, Simon is a lot of fun. He's he's a he's a really good friend. And uh, he is Argentinian, if you can't tell by his accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, Argentine. Yeah, sorry, sorry. He hails from the UK, yeah. as you may or may not have noticed. And he... I've been here a long time. That's why I sound like this. <laughs> he's, he's been Americanized yeah. a bit over the years. Yeah. But he is the life of the party, if you can't tell. <laughs> His jokes are hilarious. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You've set the bar high. <laughs> he's, right. he's a fantastic football player. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't mean American football. No, I'm not good at that. The, the version that he would refer to as yeah. football. Yeah. All right, since this is the first time we're meeting, let's give uh, a little bit of a background of our relationships, not with each other, as we've already gone through that, but with the Song of Ice and Fire books. Michele, you want to get us started on that? Sure. My intro to the Game of Thrones TV series was due to your influence. (laughs) You had tried for years to get me to watch it. But uh, my wife, Stacy, who, as you know, we watch most of our TV together, she is not a fan of fantasy stuff or period pieces so it took me a long time to get her to give it a shot but eventually I prevailed which is a rare for me <laughs> and I was all in so uh we raced through the tv show and got caught up well, I think we were on season four or five at that point but I wanted to know more I wanted to know more about the characters and events and battles that were referenced in the show but not really flushed out so I picked up a Game of Thrones and started reading, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I saw the first episode probably on like an HBO free weekend or something like that, and I wasn't entirely convinced, but I'm a big fan of uh, Lena Headey and Mark Addy and Sean Bean, so their presence in it sort of got me interested. But then it was just a free weekend, so I didn't have access to the rest of the show, and so I, uh, I did what people of my generation will do, and I picked up the books and uh, <laughs> read them. And then the next one and the next one, and I just loved them all. I, I couldn't understand how I'd missed them the first time around. Um, I put that down to being English and having a blind spot for things coming out of America. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you start by telling our guests what they can expect from this podcast? So the plan is to walk through the books one chapter at a time. Today we'll be discussing the prologue. 
We'll discuss what's in there, point out things that we've found interesting, maybe hit on some things that you'll have missed during your reading. We'll expand on a few things and we'll offer some insights whenever we can. This is an important detail. Our plan is to not provide any spoilers as best we can. So if this is your first exposure to the epic story that is A Song of Ice and Fire, you can listen to this podcast immediately after reading a chapter without fearing that you're going to have spoilers or have things ruined for you that uh, are to come. Yeah, we'll definitely stick to that. We may, I mean, low-level spoilers about, you know, what a certain thing means that we know from having read the rest of the book, but but certainly no plot points. Right, plot um, points, yes. We'll assume that most of you have watched the show, and what, one of the things we'll discuss each week is deviations between the show and the books. So if you are reading the books without having watched the show, we will potentially spoil the show for you. And so True, that, just, yes. just be clear about that. If, you, if your intention is to watch the show and you don't want that spoiled for you, then then come back to us once you finish the books and, read, and watch the show. If you've watched the show but have not read the books, don't think that you know everything that's coming in the books. Oh, yeah. Because especially as the books go further and further... Sometimes it feels like two different stories. I mean, it was a mammoth show, but the books are colossal and so much had to be cut by the wayside. So let's get started. Today we're discussing the prologue to uh, Game of Thrones. Um, McKelly, why don't you give us a recap, if you would? I certainly will. Okay, so we open with Garrod, Sir Waymar Royce, and Will. Um, They're debating whether they should continue to look for the Wildling clan that they've been tracking for the past eight or nine days. It seems that Will has already told them that he found the wildlings dead in their camp. Just lifeless bodies, no signs of struggle. This is good enough for Garrett. He assumes that they froze to death, and he's ready to return to Castle Black. Sir Waymar is not convinced. At Royce's command, Will leads them to the wildling camp. Garrett stays with the horses while Royce and Will continue on to the campsite. When Will and Royce gain the ridge overlooking the camp, they discover that it's empty. After mocking Will for a bit... Royce sends Will up a sentinel pine to look for fire from the wildlings' new campsite. While Will is in the tree, the others arrive and surround Royce, and a a battle ensues. During the battle, Royce is killed by one of the others. After some time, Will, who watched all of the events unfold from up in his spot in the tree, uh, he eventually comes down from the tree, and he bends to pick up Royce's shattered sword, to bring back to Castle Black for further examination by Lord Commander Mormont and or Maester Eamon. However, when he stands, Royce's apparently reanimated corpse strangles him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, yeah. So thanks for that. So your first reaction, Michele? So my first reaction, aside from, I think it's a really great start. It packs a lot into seven pages or whatever it is. Is, is Royce. You know, when you first read that prologue and you think about Royce, you're like, man, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he did was wrong. Uh, and I think I think he gets a bad rap because he's kind of an arrogant ass. I mean, not kind of. He, he's an arrogant ass, there's no doubt. But if you think about it from his perspective, it's his first ranging, and he's got the command, and he sees no reason why uh, the wildlings would have frozen to death. He points out about the wall weeping. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Clearly, he's been not been around the uh, Night's Watch for very long, and he doesn't trust Will or Garrett at their word. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, 
I, I think to a certain extent, he only gets a bad rap for you and me because we've read this chapter like 15 times now. <laughs> I think have. most people who've read this chapter get to forget Suwaymar pretty pretty quickly because you know his reanimated corpse is uh, not really going to come back into the story very much. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I take your point. He is from his perspective. It seems like Will and Garrett just want to get out of the duty that they're supposed to be you know performing and so to a certain extent you can see his motivation for being uh for not for not taking right. them at their word yeah he's obviously intelligent he's he's the one that realizes that the wall was weeping when we left yeah. although that was more than a week ago <laughs> and i have a hunch the weather changes that far north fairly quickly and he's he's obviously brave I mean, when the others surrounded him he didn't shrink and run away and say Please don't hurt me. I was more scared than him reading. <laughs> but did you notice that they call him my lord and lordling? I felt like that was done in mocking respect. Yeah. All three of them are they're rangers, and he has the least amount of experience as a ranger. So I feel like they were just calling him that kind of to needle him a little bit. I don't think he realized it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's something that's going to crop up in the book thematically over and over again is that sort of disparity between the the classes that yeah. the nobles have, you know, yes. everything going for them and the the working man is oppressed under yes. their heel. Being that he has a last name. Yeah. <laughs> he I guess is figures he's entitled to be called my lord. Yeah. So according to a wiki of ice and fire because I I, I was curious why is he leading this? Why does he have the command? And so I, I was doing some research into it. Hang on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's how I spend my free time, as sad as that is. And there's it's never mentioned. So I don't know exactly where they got this information from. But according to the wiki, he was given command of the ranging because he felt it was his due, since he was a knight and the other two weren't, and Lord Commander Gior Mormont, who is referenced in the prologue, uh, he agrees because he didn't want to offend Jan Royce, which is Sir Waymar's father, and he's a very important lord in uh, the area known as the Vale. Yeah, interesting. So, interesting. maybe they just made that up. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. it does. That's, good. That's good making up stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes sense, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really liked it, too. I mean, some of the themes of the book get their first airing, I think this idea that sort of ancient fairy tales coming true. I always think I always think a fantasy book benefits from its own having legends and myths within itself. Yeah. It, gives, it gives a sense of depth to right. the, to the Builds whole a world. world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think other sort of themes that are going to come out are so the impetu- impetuosity of the younger nobles right. like Waymar. And and then this silver spoon in their mouth. Exactly, yeah. And then this disparity of experience. I mean Obviously, Garrod and Will are more experienced north of the wall than Suwaymar is, but there's also the different experience that they have. I mean, he he has the better uh, Suwaymar has the better horse. He has the better clothes. Looks the part look, really <laughs> <exactly>. well. <laughs> but you know that they he should be listening to them because they're the ones who know what's going on up there. So right. I, I think that kind of theme is going to crop up again and again. Sort of like just because you're born to it doesn't mean you know it. Right. I think the other thing that really struck me is is the scale of the maps. If you look in the front of the book, the maps, it feels like the wall is kind of as far north as you go, but they've been ranging eight, nine days north of the wall. So 
the the scale is much bigger than you realize right. you know this is uh, um <clears throat> it is massive continent that they're on yeah you also get some idea of some of uh, George Martin's literary tropes, the slightly formalised English that he uses and the, the stylized character names, which are a common theme throughout the book. Everyone everyone has a name that's just slightly off from right. sort of like it normal is. name. It is. <laughs> I, I appreciate that because they're, they're usually easy to pronounce for yes, the most part. Yeah, yeah. They're not uh, like entirely fictionalized names, but they do have a Westerosi twist, usually in the spelling. Yeah. I think the prologue sets possibly a tone for what to expect from the rest of the book, which I guess is, in many ways, the point of a prologue. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it ends with Will dying, I think that's possibly an important detail because uh, you know many authors might have had Will taking that shattered sword and running back to Castle Black and escaping with his life. But that didn't happen. <laughs> Much to <laughs> Will's <Poor> Will. <laughs> dismay, that's not how it went down. And I think maybe Martin kills him to send a message to the reader that <laughs> just because you think a guy might be a good guy yeah. doesn't mean he's going to live. Invest in this guy, are you? Well, let me show you something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think there's portents there. I mean, um, obviously I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, it's a, a sign of things to come, perhaps. Uh, so... We have a friend. We we work together, Simon and I, as as well as do podcasts <laughs> together. <laughs> and we have a, a friend named Dan, and I was talking to him about this particular prologue, and he mentioned uh, something interesting. The fact that the others make an appearance in this prologue sets the tone that mythical things like the others exist in this world. So... He's already said he's already showed his hand that these things are out there. This is a world where reanimated corpses can mm-hmm. can come yeah. and attack you. So no matter how long it takes him to reintroduce mythical mythical type elements, we know that they exist and are a possibility. So yeah. so let's let's talk about how it compares <clears throat> with the TV show. I, I mean, it's very similar. I mean, it is it's exactly the first scene of the TV show. Yeah. The major difference from my recollection of the TV show is that is this distance from the wall. It felt like in the TV show they were a few hours from the wall, but here they're eight or nine days. Right. Uh, perhaps that was a conscious decision by the TV show just to introduce the wall so that we actually get to see it. And, True. Yeah. It's a vis- you know, it's a visual yeah. media. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do tell me more of this <laughs> giant so, wall. Yeah. You actually see the the trio leaving the wall. I also think it's an interesting. I mean. Y- you know, you have to really think about these things to find the flaws, but th- there is an important distinction there because if I'm manning the wall, the reanimated corpse eight or nine days north isn't going to affect me, but a few hours north, you know, it feels like it's a much more immediate threat. Right. Yeah, they could be knocking at the wall door. Right. And, and, and Garrett and Will were very afraid, but they were not. They weren't experienced with this. This right. was not a new. This wasn't a common event even yeah. for them. So. They, they mentioned it several times that something was wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that sort of gives a slightly different timeline. But I mean, otherwise, it's it's pretty much verbatim. Uh, yeah. Although I feel like Will might uh, disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is if true. Will had a say, <laughs> he would prefer it yes. <laughs> go down the way the TV show went down uh, because. It's it's subtle, but not to will not so to will. much. <laughs> in in the TV show, two of the three characters die. 
However, they do, they do in the book too. Yes, it is not the same <laughs> two of the three. <laughs> yeah. On the TV show, it is Garrod who uh, perishes to the reanimated hand of yeah. Sir Waymar. And here in our prologue, it is Will who meets his fate in that way. You know, I don't know. I don't know why they necessarily made that decision, yeah. but so the, the the one other thing that I noticed was that um, the others don't talk in the TV show, whereas they actually do in the book. They have they have a couple of lines of dialogue with Sir Waymar before they kill him. I think, I think again, that's a distinction of media because I think on the TV you don't need them to talk for them to be scary, whereas in the book just a description of them isn't going to give it, so you need to give them a little bit more in the book. So I think that's why yeah. they speak in the book. That's a good point. I do agree. I did prefer them not to uh, me too. have I, a vocabulary. I, I entirely agree, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little creepier. Yeah, exactly, way. yeah. But in a book, you know, they're sort of driven by dialogue. Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> them just not talking is going to just become annoying rather than <laughs> scary. So uh, background information that you wanted to share about this chapter remember don't spoil right yes as you mentioned we have read this <laughs> chapter probably 15 times <laughs> each but i was trying to think about it from a first time reader's perspective and i thought what would i want to know that isn't a plot line information like oh no what's going to happen to this character and i feel like giving some information about what this this night's watch is they make reference to the fact that they are brothers of the night's watch what does that mean? So, the Night's Watch is a group of men that have guarded the Seven Kingdoms for thousands of years from threats from north of the Wall. And they are led by Lord... They're led by a Lord Commander, not always the same Lord Commander. That would be... <laughs> He'd be long in the tooth by now. <laughs> uh, the current Lord Commander is Gior Mormont. And they, they wear all black. For camouflage in the snow. Yes, right. They maybe didn't think that through all the way. <clears throat> they might stand out a little bit. And because they wear all black, they're often referred to as crows or black brothers. And it's a lifelong commitment. What they do is they take an oath. They say the words as they refer to it. Uh, McKelly did air quotes there. Oh, <laughs> yes. That doesn't come across? <laughs> I thought air quotes was a perfect way to describe I was quoting something. Say the words was in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they say the words. So when they do that, they swear an oath to never hold lands or father children. Along with that, they don't get involved in any affairs in Westeros. So wars between kings or between kingdoms they don't get involved disputes over land whatever they're a separate entity from mm -hmm. everything else in the seven kingdoms yeah they're entirely autonomous but I, I think they do ultimately report to the monarch of the seven kingdoms i think the monarch of the seven yes. kingdoms has some control over them but yes you're right a lot of the people that they get are not knights they get a lot of people who are uh criminals in fact a good amount of their people are um criminals who Instead, you can either serve a sentence, be killed, or t what's called take the black, which means join the Night's Watch. It's not a particularly <clears throat> inspiring-looking job, I've got to say. So I mean, right. you pretty much have to have a pretty horrible alternative to want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But often it's third, second and third sons of lords end up going there because they have few prospects for themselves. Right, so. yeah. Such as Sir Waymar. Exactly, yeah. Another group... 
just quickly, they make reference to wildlings. And really, those are just people that live north of the wall. They call themselves free folk. They don't acknowledge the king of Westeros. So um, I don't want to give away too much, but there was sort of in, sort of intentional mystery around the, the scary creatures right. that attacked. Yeah. So there are two different creatures. There's basically the others. The others are... I, I mean, I, I really don't want to give anything away, but they, the others are capable of reanimating corpses, and the reanimated corpses are known as whites. I don't think that word is used very much in the TV show, but I think it is used in the book. So, so there are basically two different things. There's the others and the whites, and, um, and that's W-I-G-H-T, not right. W-H-I-T. Yeah, but yeah I, I think you're right. I think Martin intentionally made it vague yeah. it made it uh, made them not necessarily vague but mystery shrouded yeah. in mystery yeah, exactly so, so um some background on some family names that get mentioned um the three that i heard were royce malister and mormont the last of these is mentioned as being the authority in the night's watch uh, the royce's home is in the vale in the coastal town of runestone allegiance to house arin the Royce's words, every, every house has a, a, a motto uh, known as the words. Um, Royce's words are, we remember. And their sigil is something like a go board with runes around it. <laughs> it is. The Malisters hail from Seaguard on the northwestern coast of the Riverlands with allegiance to House Tully. Their sigil is a silver eagle on a purple background. Their words are above the rest which probably annoys some of their neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a little elitist. But. The Mormonts are from Bear Island, which is off the west coast of the very far north, barely south of the wall. As part of the north, they owe their fealty to House Stark. Their sigil is a rampant bear over a green background of trees. Their words are, here we stand. So we're going to talk about pedantry, pedantry corner. This is a bit that I, I, I wanted this bit because I'm, I like to be pedantic. And uh, <laughs> so the one, McKelly actually alluded to this a little bit. Royce asked Will if he'd had any, any shifts on the wall in the past week. But if they're eight days, ride of the, eight days ride north of the wall, then he couldn't possibly have had. That's mm. bad editing right there. <laughs> Unless he's got a really fast horse. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'll be back. You guys go on without me. I'll catch up. Uh, that's, that. yes, that is... Uh... The math does not. No, it definitely doesn't. And there's another place where the math doesn't necessarily add up. Um, the, this one is debatable. Right. I don't yeah. think this one is uh, is actually wrong. I think that previous one is wrong, and the editor should have picked it up. This one is a matter of opinion. So they mentioned that Will has ranged north of the wall a hundred times, yes. and he's been in the Night's Watch for four years. Very round number. I hope right. he had a good send-off for his <laughs> yeah. Perhaps he makes a mark on the wall as he leaves. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so... If every ranging, I mean, so this ranging that they're on now is going to be at least 16 days because they're eight days north of the wall, so it's eight days back again. Right. So let's say a ranging, typical ranging is a week. Yep. Let's just throw that number out. That means he spent two of his four years north of the wall. Now, this brings up the point, what, what are they doing? When they're not north of the wall? <laughs> well, what are they doing when they are north of the <laughs> wall? I mean, I mean the, the point of the wall is to keep whatever's north of the wall from coming south. Right, yes. Why go north Why of the wall? Why go north the of the wall? The wall is just really big <laughs> and really in the way. Yes. There's not much point. There's uh, 700 feet tall <laughs> and spans the width of the continent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess... You might have to go like a couple of hundred yards north of the wall to clear the right, trees yeah. and shrubbery so you get a good view yes. of what's coming, Aside should the that. wall not be enough to stop right. them. But 
like it, it just seems strange. I mean, it feels like the wildlings are north of the wall and they're gonna they're stuck north of the wall. Why go chasing well, I them? Care I care what I, they I, do. I guess I guess intelligence gathering in case they're forming some kind of coherent force to attack the wall. Maybe. Right. I guess that must be what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> they did mention in the book that his uh, Will had a gift for moving silently, and that presumably would make him a fixture of ranging. So maybe this maybe this is not that interesting. Yeah, maybe he goes out on just about every ranging. Yeah, exactly. There's not, does not a lot else to do at Castle Blackboard. <laughs> exactly. <possibly>. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I'll go. <laughs> Castle Blackboard. Well, let's go north of the wall again. So what do you think overall? I think it's a strong start. Me We're too. off and running. Me too. It's a lot of good elements in there to get people curious and excited yeah. to keep reading. Yeah, I, I, I was dragged back in again just just by rereading it. So thanks, everybody. I think, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to um, doing this more. Obviously, the next one will be about Chapter 1, and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks uh, for listening. If you want to contact us... Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can send us questions or comments, things you'd like to hear you know us talk about you can uh, send us an email at ghost.herrenhall at gmail.com and we pretty much guarantee to read it out at least for the first couple of episodes (laughs) you're gonna get on air (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) um we're also open to sponsorship if anybody wants to sponsor us yeah we we have day jobs but you know pay for the microphone that'd be nice yes absolutely Well, thanks, everyone. Yes, Uh, thanks. uh, Hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.